Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Uh, good morning. Uh, glad to be back here. Uh, once again, it's been a few weeks uh, since I uh, got my turn to come up here and continue the series on uh, forgotten characters uh, in the Bible. Uh, so I'm excited to be back up here. And um, The character or the person that I'm, I'm going to do today, um, it's more of a skimming the surface of, of the topic. Um, because it's, it's an intro, introduction kind of to a series I did kind of back at my uh, home church um, several years ago. Um, I'm originally from Phoenix City and at the Church of Christ there. Um, but and I, and I wouldn't characterize maybe this one as a forgotten character, um, such that you have forgotten who this is, but maybe um, purposely forgotten in some people's um Situations, or maybe that they know what this thing is, um, but they don't spend a lot of time and study um, this particular topic or this particular character. Um, and so, this um, topic, like I said, is is an, an intro to a series that I did back home on the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, perhaps maybe a controversial topic, uh, but I've found maybe in my lifetime, and not really a topic. Uh, that is talked on a whole lot, or um, it seems to be forgotten when we think of the Trinity. Um, so over my lifetime as, as a Christian, I've wondered and was perplexed about many things concerning the Holy Spirit. And as I find with most things, the exact specifics of certain issues that I believe um, that I believe in have changed over time, and that's either been to uh, increase knowledge through through study, uh, interactions with other individuals, and in real life, or maybe even literally witnessing the kingdom of God at work. And, um, so I kind of pose this rhetorical question to everybody. Um, how many of us have really sat through uh, a series of lessons on the Holy Spirit or spent some time studying about this part of this so-called trinity? Uh, one theologian put it like this. How many churches and ministries would even notice and would carry on in exactly the same measure as usual? even if every reference to the Holy Spirit and prayer were ripped from the pages of the New Testament. So do you get the idea? Well, if you're anything like me, and I think that in ways that you are, uh, while growing up and even currently in your life, you have held or had certain beliefs about the Holy Spirit. However, oftentimes it is frequently sidestepped due to the excessiveness of its nature. And so to combat this excess um, we think that, well, we just won't talk about it in order to not step off in the wrong direction. Because when you start talking about things, people start thinking about it and doing things that you believe that they shouldn't do. And although I don't really think this is what many people would say, this is what in most cases often occurs. This is because really besides talking about what it doesn't do, there is really said little anything about it. So many people really grew up ignorant about this, but the truth is not talking about something and not studying it um, 
like any issue of Scripture, does not protect you from going down distracted and false pathways. And in my opinion, makes you more vulnerable to them. And I think when we actively engage the Word of God and what this means and what the Spirit means in my life, then I find myself more able to filter and understand things that are not necessarily associated with the Spirit. And so obviously you can find churches out there that are more charismatic, where every other word seems to be spirit this or spirit that. However, most people, whether they're from more charismatic churches or from ones that are not so often at times, it seems our definitions and our beliefs about the Holy Spirit are oftentimes something that is downloaded and not beliefs and thoughts that we sought out and we learned. And it's almost like this sort of a paperweight that we carry around and it says congratulations for joining the club and the weight just kind of sits there lifelessly on your desk and it says thanks for donating to the cause. But I think it's a lot more and there's a lot more to it than that. You see, what strikes me about the New Testament is the language of the Holy Spirit is embedded into the first century church. It seems to be a part of the life of those Christians and its direction was always desperately sought after because how else could you be led to God but through His very Spirit? And so you have Scripture um, throughout the, the New Testament and it has phrases like, do not quench the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Do you have any idea what that means? We don't really talk about the Spirit a lot, so how can you have any idea how to quench it or to not quench it? A second example is, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. There in the context of Galatians where they struggle with issues like circumcision, we are told to keep in step with the Spirit. So are you keeping in step with the Spirit? And if you've never really studied it or sought it out, how do you know you're keeping in step with the Spirit? Does it mean that you just show up to church and you show up to classes just like this? Did it comment? Those are some great thoughts um, kind of on the Holy Spirit um, there about keeping in step with it and the relationship that we have with it. Um, We'll kind of press forward, um, kind of moving on, but those are some great thoughts. Um, and I really appreciate the, the comment for it. Uh, kind of, kind of that third example, um, after the first two verses that I mentioned, a third example is, um, found in Ephesians 5.18, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And by the way, that is a command by Paul. If you look at the grammar of that, you are to be filled with the Spirit. How do you know if you are filled with the Spirit? Do you even have the Spirit? What difference does it make if you're filled with the Spirit? How would you know unless you're engaging in things and meditating on them and try to come to some understanding in your life? Again, it was the common language of first century Christians, so why is it not the common language of 21st century Christians? And like I said, this is sort of that introductory sort of lesson. And like I mentioned at the, uh, the start, we're going to kind of just skim the surface and not get as deep as we would if it was an entire series on it, uh, but sort of that introduction. And so maybe just perhaps we're going to do some things here that might provoke you to go and do your own study, provoke you in your own small groups, things like that, to delve even deeper in that. But when you hear the word Holy Spirit or you come across it um, in your everyday language or talking to you, what comes to your mind? Is it a dove like what we see in the New Testament? Is it something that influences you? Is it a conscience? Is it Trinity? 
And those are nice sort of biblical answers, but in our day and age, what are some of the things that we feel a little bit tense about uh, when we hear that? Is it the speaking in tongues? Is it the word, you know, is it if we hear the, the, the term a guide? Is it pew jumping? Is it the sort of rock-like concert services uh, that we see in other congregations where people seem to really feel the Spirit? Uh, is it healing? Is it miracles? Are those your thoughts that come to mind when you think of the Holy Spirit? The point is here is that there are a lot of things associated with the Holy Spirit, but it isn't just this big free-for-all, and it can't just be what you want it to be depending upon which church group you're in, and so you just get to buy into it because of you associated with that particular group. And I say this, well, ignorance is not bliss. However, I am thankful that God can bless us even in our ignorance. Even if I don't fully get God or, or the Spirit, I'm glad they are in my life doing what they are doing. But I think it is a far greater blessing to understand what God and the Spirit is doing in my life, and it helps me to be more directive and have a more substantial walk with Him. What happens, though, if your understanding of the Spirit, if it's weak and it's anemic? Well, then your very walk with Christ would be anemic. And so I think it's worth studying. And so where do we begin when we want to study Well, a great place to begin is what's called the Shema. And this is a Hebrew word, and you know what it means whether you realize it or not. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And this is how the Jews, uh, even to this day, start their service. And immediately I'm struck with a dilemma. The Lord is one. However, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we hear what? Let us make man in our image. Expeace of God here as a plurality. And so let us start here and walk through a few things. We read here in the Old Testament that God is unity, yet diversity. You see this played out uh, even in Christianity, just to kind of give you an example here real quick, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it talks about the church. And it talks about that though we are many, we are still yet one body. We are spiritually one, the church, but we are still recognized by our multiple personalities and talents in that framework of oneness. So has it ever dawned on you that the things that God created would carry his own fingerprint on them? But perhaps it would surprise us that God is also far more complex than the things that he's created. In their comment. Yeah. That's a good comment. Um, talking about, um, and it's kind of getting to that essence of a trinity, they are separate yet one. Uh, so, kind of moving on um, and kind of continuing on so we get through it with it. Um, in John chapter 17, um, we have Jesus praying for his disciples. That they should be one just as He and God are one. That they might be in us like I am in you and you are in me. And that is intimacy in the Trinity. And He wants that to take place in our lives. And so if you fragment God, what happens in your life? You become fragmented and healthy because there are things that you just cannot get if you have the wrong theology. And so yes, we speak in terms of a Trinity. They are separate yet one, as he was mentioning in the comment. 
And yes, this is sort of a difficult concept to grasp. And we can see over and over uh, that we've tried to come up with sort of different explanations when we try to understand God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And it, and Christians or people uh, associated with the church or people associated with religion over history, they've they thought of different ideas of how they might tackle this idea uh, of the Trinity. And so we have something, and I'm just going to go through kind of a couple here with you real quick. In the third century, you have kind of this idea of Sabellianism. And which is like God is sort of like a Greek actor. And that he sort of holds a different mask. And when he's playing that role, he's that character. Uh, and while it's still the same actor, he'd be playing a different role each time. And he would never be the same person at the same time. And I have a problem with this way of thinking because you see scenes like Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3 where Christ is present and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And God also appears and he says, this is his son in whom he is well pleased. And so that train of thought just couldn't be right. And so next you have, in the 4th century, you have this, this train of thought rise, and it's called Arianism. That's not what you think about when you think about like World War II and things associated like that. Um, this is Arianism, kind of a different train of thought uh, with religion. And it's sort of the thought that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. Then there must have been a time, because He's the Son, that He did not exist. And so He was created, and, and later Jesus created the Holy Spirit, and that way of thought was obviously eventually thrown out because they're trying to fragment God. And which that way of thinking is not really too far off of what we might see with the Jehovah's Witnesses here uh, today and what they're teaching in, in their church today. And so next you have this idea of just sort of tritheism, uh, which stated that there well, it's basically three separate gods, uh, which, by the way, is just polytheism, uh, which is no different than the Greek and the Roman mythology of that time of worshiping multiple gods. And so Trinity means threefold, and that they are united yet distinct. And well, to be quite blunt about something when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person in the same way that Jesus was a deity, yet was displayed in God's image, and how we are displayed in God's image, yet we are spiritual beings too. The Holy Spirit is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not the personification of all things good, like you might have Jack Frost as the personification of winter or, or winter weather. He's not the personification of anything. He has individuality. As we see over and over again in the Bible, with the use of pronouns when it's referred to him, he's treated as a person and he acts like a person. He can be blasphemed, Matthew chapter 12, 31 through 32. He can be lied to. Acts 5, uh, verse 3. He can be resisted. Acts 7, verse 51. And he can be insulted. Hebrews 10, verse 29. The Holy Spirit has a will. We look in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Paul describes the Holy Spirit's role in distributing spiritual gifts. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And so we can see kind of from that, that chapter, or that verse, excuse me, that here the Holy Spirit is seen deciding what gifts to give these people in the first century. Deciding what gifts to give to these people. In other words, the Holy Spirit has a will. It has intelligence and knowledge. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20, You also gave your good spirit to instruct them. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 10 through 13, it says, These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? 
In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So the Spirit has intelligence, it has knowledge. It has the ability to love. Romans 15, verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. The Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8, verse 26, it has a mind. Romans 8, uh, 27, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He has searches our hearts, knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So He is a person. He can be grieved, He can be happy, He can possess knowledge, and give it out to human beings. He decides what gifts you have. He decides, I want people to do this and do this in the one body of Christ. And so if we think of the Holy Spirit as sort of this, this personal power, or of influence, then our only thoughts will be on what we can obtain for selfish growth. But if we think of Him in the biblical way as a divine person, having a relationship with Him like He has one with God, then He is infinitely wise, powerful, and tender-hearted, and then our relationship with Him will change. Therefore, it is crucially important how we view the Holy Spirit. It is not something to be argued about to see who can do this and who can do that, but your perception of the Holy Spirit in turn affects how you see Trinity. And so sort of, you know, just going back to that concept, if it's really a complex yet simple thing, when you think of just the most simple thing in the universe of being an atom and how that, the most simple thing, when you break it down, an atom is just yet so complex. The smallest thing in God's creation is complex. So therefore, if you imagine God and the Trinity, of how it can be a complex being, how it's just so much more than even the smallest thing in the universe. So therefore, this concept of a Trinity, it's complex, yet simple. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is a person like God, who you can relate to. It's not the force like in Star Wars or something like that. It's not some sort of astral projection or a ghost that zaps you with abilities and gifts, and a lot of people sort of think that way. Another series I sort of did back home by the church is, and it's my favorite series that I ever got to do back home, and it's a series on heaven. Because what are we about if not heaven? And going there and being with Christ and being with God and being with the Spirit and doing the things that will lead us to that, being reunited with what we were truly meant to be. But when I, when I did that series, and when I talk on heaven, uh, back home, there's one thing I would always point out when you think on a topic like that, or you think on a topic like the Holy Spirit, is where should you, where should you turn to when you want to learn about any topic that directly affects your spiritual life? So where should you often turn to? And it's Christ, and the words in red. We turn to Him about heaven because He has been there, and we should turn to Him about the Holy Spirit because He knows Him personally, because they are one. And so he talks about how our relationship with him should be in John chapter 7 when he says the following, starting in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood 
and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so, yes, Jesus here was being prophetical, because now the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out upon all mankind, and everyone was waiting for this moment. And we turn to him because he knows the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was also present in the Old Testament. With like the prophets and other various judges. And just to kind of run through sort of, you know, a few examples with that, he enabled Joseph to interpret dreams, um, there in Genesis 41 verse 38. Uh, he helped, uh, Israel in the wilderness. Um, you can look, uh, in Haggai 2 verse 5. He was with Israel when they came out of Egypt and he remained with them. Uh, he enabled the workers of the tabernacle and all kinds of cra- uh, craftsmanship. Exodus 31, 1 through 11, and chapter 35, 30 through 35. Um, he was in Joseph, uh, not, excuse me, in Joshua, Moses' successor, Numbers 27, verse 18. He came upon the first kings of Israel, uh, King Saul, to make him a prophet, 1 Samuel 10, 6, 10 through 11, uh, 10 and 11, um, and 11, chapter 6. He came upon David and departed from Saul, 1 Samuel 16, 13 through, thir- um, 13 through 14, excuse me. Um, he, he protected Elijah and took him into heaven. He would carry Elijah to some safe place away from Ahab and Jezebel, 1 Kings 18, 12. Um, he prophesied through Isaiah, excuse me, and was mentioned in Isaiah's prophecies. Uh, he was in Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar and the uh, Spirit of the Holy God was in Daniel and that he was able to interpret his dream, Daniel 4, 8, 9, and 18. Uh, and he's mentioned over and over again in, in the Minor Prophets. Uh, and you have that sort of that classic line from Psalms 51 uh, when, when David's sort of trying to repent um, from the things that have occurred with Bathsheba and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so over and over again, we see that... that in the Old Testament, that God was more selective with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That it was, you know, mostly reserved for the kings, the prophets, and the, and the judges, uh, like with Samson and, and the source of his strength. Uh, but the promise of the New Testament is that everyone gets it. And anyone in the kingdom gets it. Well, whatever it is, right? And so the greatest focus on the Holy Spirit by Jesus is found in John. Chapters 14, 15, and 16. And we don't really necessarily have time to read all three chapters of that. And so perhaps in your own personal study, I would ask that you go back and look at that. But we're going to kind of highlight some of that here. Uh, John 14, 15, and 16, which are the chapters that just sort of have the cross looming over them as Christ is talking to his disciples. So at this time, Jesus, uh, he first, he, uh, beginning in 14, he first frequently talked about leaving his disciples and how he was going to orphan them because they would be without their rabbi. In the context of these chapters, he is comforting them and he's telling them of his impending death, even though they didn't really get it because to them the Messiah just doesn't die, and so he must be speaking sort of metaphorically. And then second, kind of continuing on there in 14, 15, 16, Jesus was also teaching them these survival skills of unity and love. And if you want to survive in this world, which is why he washed their feet, because he wanted to, to teach them this, because if you want to survive as a believer, and not just a watered-down believer, 
But a true believer, you've got to stay together and you've got to love one another in a way that is so unique to the world that they just wouldn't understand. And thirdly, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. You know, he oftentimes called, he either says the Holy Spirit or in those chapters he may call it the advocate which he was sent to them depending upon your uh, translation. He is telling them that although he is leaving them and orphaning them to the world, that he is going to ask his Father to give them the Holy Spirit. And think about it this way. As Jesus is incarnated the presence of God uh, in this world, so the Holy Spirit of God incarnates the Spirit of Christ through us. The Spirit recreates Christ in all of us because we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts. And that is why the Holy Spirit is so important. And if there's one point... I really want you to get from this when you go and you do your own studies, when you go and you have your small group, uh, when you go and you spend your private time in prayer. This is it. It's that the Holy Spirit's work is centered in Jesus Christ. And this is an extremely important filter to use when you think about the Spirit. The Spirit points to the Son of God. And if you think on it, it helps you filter out and sift through the myriad of things that are thrown at you in in your life and telling you to go this direction or that direction. That the Spirit points to Christ and what Christ wants it to do. And so kind of just a a quick thing, two two points here that I want to to hit out uh, or point out. Um, When you go and you you do your study, and I encourage you to do that as, as I mentioned I don't think you can really have that full relationship with with Christ or with God without understanding the Spirit. Two important things I want to sort of leave leave you with when you go and you study the Spirit is that to remember, and I'm sure you've heard the terms before, and if not, I'll kind of give a sort of a brief sort of definition, and those things are exegesis and hermeneutics. Exegesis is the interpretation of Scripture dealing with the context uh, of that letter or book written back then with who is its author and who is its recipient. Like Paul's letter where he wrote to specific churches that they were dealing with specific problems and what those problems mean in the first century. That is what I always should ask myself when I read the scripture. And then you sort of also do at the same time this hermeneutical work, which is applying what was wrote to the 21st century. And if you mess up the first step, of understanding the context, of not understanding the recipient, of not understanding the author, then you'll do horribly at the hermeneutical end, or the hermeneutical interpretation. Which is just how you might end up believing that you could perform miracles, or healing the sick, or speaking in tongues. And so when we're reading John 17, and we'll sort of do kind of an example here with it, we have to remember that Jesus, in John chapter 17, is talking to the apostles. And we have to figure out if Christ is the is only talking to them, or if he's also talking to me. John 17, verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but those you have given me, for they are yours. And you see here, Jesus is talking about the disciples specifically. In this part, but sort of further on, we, we go down to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we can see the roles that the apostles had were separate and special and specific roles that the apostles would play in the church and with the Spirit. And then we have Acts chapter 1 as another example. Um, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was, that proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a, a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. These were men clearly set apart, which is further illustrated in Acts 10 with Peter's meeting with Cornelius. Uh, starting in verse 39, it, it says, We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed and as a judge of the living and the dead. And you can see, historically, these men, these apostles, these men had a unique relationship with Christ that allowed them to perform with unique gifts that no one on earth was able to do and that is the context or the exegesis interpretation. And so, like I mentioned to you, I, I want you to sort of take those, those two trains of thought or those two tools as you go and you study more about the Spirit. And, and, and as I mentioned, this is just sort of a skimming of the surface uh, of, of the topic. And it's very deep and complex, and it can be obviously several, several lessons. And I hope from this lesson, I hope that I can inspire you to do your own studies, either individually or as a group, and that you will find by studying the Holy Spirit, you will in turn be able to better understand God and Christ and the relationship that they share with the Spirit. I wholeheartedly believe that if you find the understanding, uh, if you find your understanding of the Spirit lacking, then your relationship with the other parts of the Trinity just might be suffering as well. So if you remember, Sort of what I, I mentioned probably about 10 minutes ago, as, as you go and you do that study on, on the Spirit, to use that filter, that the Spirit comes to do what Christ wants it to do. The Spirit points to the Son of God, and if you think on it, it helps you filter out and sift through the myriad of things that are thrown at you in, in your life and telling you to go this direction or that. But if you can just use that sort of filter and not think, what can the Spirit do for me, but what can the Spirit do for Christ in the kingdom of God, then you'll be uh, kind of taking the right first step in that direction. So I want to kind of close by saying that quote again I I said kind of at the beginning. Um, a A theologian said it like this, how many churches and ministries would even notice and would carry on in exactly the same measure as usual, even if every reference to the Holy Spirit and prayer were ripped from the pages of the New Testament? Would your life be any different if those were taken out? Would your Christian walk be any different? Or would you be carrying on in the same way? And so that's kind of that scheming of the surface, kind of like I mentioned. We're going to finish here uh, a little bit early. Uh, I've been waiting to use this joke because uh, I haven't finished early yet in one of my lessons. And uh, I've been waiting to, to use this. And um, But do you want to know what separates a bad lesson from at least a good or an okay lesson. 
finishing five minutes early. <laughs> All right. So I hope I inspire you uh, to go out and, and sort of um, maybe prick your heart or prick your, uh, your thoughts there uh, to go and study the, the Spirit. Because I really feel like if you don't go and understand that portion uh, of the Trinity, that it can cause the other two sides to be anemic and cause you to not fully grasp the entire concept. Um, so it's something that, like I mentioned, we can't go into all of it. It would just take way too long uh, here and uh, I have to let Kerry talk next week. And uh, so I don't want to cut into any of his time. Um, but I appreciate your time and I appreciate your attention. Uh, and so go and um, do some good work and go and uh, study and learn more about the Trinity. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.